This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're effectively saying two things. One is I have money to go acquire customers and or I also have information. I have data on how to find these people and or target them across the web. And so when you're trying to secure both your business and your customer's experience with your brand, you want to be mindful of that interaction. This is Tom Fox. That was Jason Patel from Check AI. In this podcast, we talk about the critical aspects of go-to-market security, market intelligence security, and customer privacy in today's world. I know you'll enjoy this episode about these issues. Are you interested in the intersection of Sherlock Holmes and compliance? If so, check out my great new podcast series, Adventures in Compliance, where I go through each story. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Jason Patel. Jason, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jason, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, for sure. Like the thing that every early 20-something does where you move out to Silicon Valley because you had all that imagination in your head and you really want to try and make the next Facebook or whatever. But anyways, I worked at this company called Insighton. We started in the digital marketing space, eventually evolved into addressing a lot more needs in the digital privacy and security space. And then we had a lot of success with that change. And then eventually we were acquired by our now parent company called Check where we specialize in privacy compliance and go to market security. And what's your current role, Jason? So right now I serve as the field CTO for Check. And let's just go directly into Check because you had some terms on there I was not previously aware of. So let's start with go to market security. What does that mean? Yeah, sure. I think when we think about security, traditionally, we often think about prevent the bad guys from getting into whatever is you're trying to protect, right? But when we think about how we run a business, we're usually also participating in all these motions to try and attract customers, aka taking our product out to market, right? Going to market. And with that, like a lot of those actions also carry inherent risk, right? Because what are you signaling to the world effectively? You're effectively saying two things. One is I have money to go acquire customers and or I also have information. I have data on how to find these people and or target them across the web. And so when you're trying to secure both your business and your customer's experience with your brand, you want to be mindful of that interaction, right? So the solutions that we provide help secure that visit. And I guess I should have started with, let's step back and tell us a little bit about Check. Sure. So Check is a 
global leader right now in the go-to market security. So we serve some of the largest brands in the world. And we serve, we help them do anything from clean out invalid traffic from their paid channels to make sure that we can prevent or identify potential fraud on site or protect users' sessions from risks like MageCard or even making sure that their privacy rights are honored too as they navigate through that experience with brand two. And then another term I was not aware of, which is market intelligence security. What is that? Sure. Security, a lot of times I think is often looked as a cost center, right? But like realistically, there's a wealth of data that we produce out of the secu- out of our security motions, right? And because of that, a lot of it also can be leveraged in other fashions, right? So on one side of the fence for your security organization or compliance organizations, you can maintain evidence for maintaining certain controls or certain mechanisms of security that you just need to basically warehouse somewhere or like potentially even look at a more forensic basis to see, hey, I encountered like a credential stuffing or account takeovers. What were the characteristics of this type of traffic? But on the flip side, when you look at towards a revenue generating perspective, right? You can look at us from the perspective of, okay, I am having potentially invalid traffic come to my site and it's polluting data that I make decisions off of, right? Google Analytics, Adobe Analytics, any marketing or campaign targeting solution on site, right? And not only do I want to make sure my security, my my organization's security posture is strong, but I also want to make sure I'm minimizing waste and producing the best insights out of my marketing and go-to market motions as well. So I think that's where, when we talk about market intelligence security, that's the marriage we see. So who is the customer base of Check? Corporations, B2B, private companies, public companies? Tell All us about that. Above. If you're a company that exists on the internet that use, needs the web to drive traffic to any revenue mechanism that you use, or you collect end user information for the purposes of engaging with your customer, Check is valid. Let's pick up on your last little phrase there, information on the end-use customer, because that signifies to me some significant privacy concerns. So what is customer privacy enforcement? And more importantly, how can you use that to drive customer trust? Yeah, definitely. So customer privacy enforcement. So, you know, if we take a step back and think about like GDPR, CPA, insert whatever acronym you want from whatever privacy legislation that just may have appeared across the globe. We see the common through line, right? Where everybody always pops up a banner or some notice, you click accept all, or you just get the notification that like data will be collected on you. But the real compliance motion is like making sure that those choices are respected, right? And respected immediately where collection stops at the point of the user saying, hey, I don't want data to be recorded on me for these purposes or at all. And then being able to both enforce that policy and also provide you a record of enforcement. So that's where we come in and provide those solutions for customers. Is your solution auditable? Yeah, we were birthed out of the digital marketing world. So we're very familiar with what like the people that are collecting data on a website do. So when we designed the solution, we looked at it from the perspective of, okay, we also know some of the challenges in those organizations, like maintaining a history of what you did, audit trails, all that stuff. Also making sure that you can do something through 
a controls-driven workflow rather than a procedural workflow. Because in digital marketing, you've been spending the last 20 years trying to move as fast as possible. Last thing you want to do is add a 10-step process before you roll out a new tag or roll out a new type of tracking that you want to do. And also, just if you think about every other lesson we've learned from our entire experience in like web and running a business, is like controls are usually the nicer of the two versus policy and procedure versus controls. Both are important. You're going to need both, right? Because you're not going to be able to automate everything, but where you can, you'd like to, especially because like when we even see, take our corollaries from the security world, right? What's your weakest point in that tool chain, right? It's usually humans, right? Either someone forgot to block something down, they actually shared too much information. Same issue happens on the privacy side, right? Someone actually tracked data that they weren't supposed to. They didn't wire something up right. You'd rather not risk it to human error. You'd rather have a controls-driven process. You are speaking my music. <laughs> okay. How do you talk to, that's not the right way. How do you help a customer understand that the gold standard is GDPR? And obviously, if they're subject to GDPR, they have to meet that gold standard. But can you use that to help them understand but once you've met that gold standard, you have data privacy protection for most countries in the world? Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a common through line we get when we're talking to American or Canadian companies with dealing with the CPRA or the new bill up in Quebec, where they ask us, like, obviously, like a lot, there's a lot of nuance around these bills. And on top of that, right, a lot of times when we look at how to enforce stuff, we look at how the government's taken enforcement actions, right? But for both these legislations, they're still relatively new. GDPR at this point is relatively battle-tested, and it's going through its second phase of maturation at the moment, right? And so when we say talk to customers, we're like, look, you could look at the nuance of this bill, but like you look at GDPR as like where ultimately consumers are trying to drive privacy to, right? Where us as organizations being responsible for consumer data, where they see general consensus, right? And you're seeing the through lines through every single legislation that comes out, right? You're seeing kind of similar language around how data can be used, what disclosures do you need to provide? What what power you need to give to your customer or visitor to know what data is being tracked a lot about them? What and what they can choose to opt in and opt out of, and how you can you're allowed to respond as a brand if you're allowed to diminish the quality of service or have to take or you could on verse on the inverse provide incentive based approach, right? And with that, you start to see like a goal of hey your goal shouldn't be trying to comply with a single legislation, just like the nuances of it. You want to also pay attention to the through lines because if you see GDPR and TPA and Bill 64, right, they all have similar things where if you just make the effort into complying with GDPR, there's a chance that you're already 80% of the way there when you start to go down your CPA or Canadian types of compliance. So how do you, you mentioned you don't want to have to put a customer through 10 steps or 10 paces to be able to satisfy a control. How do you design a control that both meets the requirements of GDPR yet doesn't really ruin either the customer experience or even the experience on the operations side? Yeah, our solution is a patented technology solution, right? So the way our solution effectively works is we try, we need to load before everything in front of the page that loads on the page and then we'll sit in the browser watch what's being attempted to be collected or not be collected and also weigh that against your company policy around who are your data sharing partners right 
but also the end user's preferences, right? Yeah, Google might be your data sharing partner, but your customer said, I don't want you to track me for advertising purposes. We're not going to, we're going to make sure no data gets sent to double click or whatever else. On top of that, the MarTech space is big. So we try and stay vendor agnostic. We don't like the big bill to, to specific technologies, but more, again, like how do these activities happen in the browser from a technology lens? And then make sure that we could safeguard that type of process. Generically, though, if you're talking about more philosophically, right, idea is like you want a transparent layer that doesn't actually require our customer or end user to actually have to be even aware that this layer is in there until they need to make a change or introduce a new partner. That policy layer ideally is as transparent as it can be for both the customer and the business so that they can operate as as rapid as they want to until they need to actually have that conversation with their compliance or security teams. What are two or three of the top mistakes companies are making around compliance in this arena? I So I think they're similar, but in the first phase of most compliance regulations, I always see is yeah, the initial reaction to it, right? Where it's like, oh, hey, this isn't my problem. Give this to the lawyers, give this to whoever's in my compliance department. You saw this with GDPR, right? Everybody goes, hey, yeah, we're fine. We updated some T's and C's on our page. We updated our privacy policies and we slapped up a banner. We're good. Realistically, that was just the tip of the iceberg for GDPR, right? The, reg- the regulation is far, far more exhaustive than that. And then eventually you come to the maturation that like, oh yeah, this is actually a cross-functional requirement. It's not just a legal type of requirement, but this has ramifications in how you drive marketing, how you drive revenue, how you engage with your customers, right? So everybody, every stakeholder needs to be at the table and deciding how to adopt a strategy that maintains their goal as an organization, but also maintains the larger organization's compliance. And the second challenge I think I I often see is like hope and pray or hope somebody else does it for you type compliance, right? Where, you know, you're like, oh, no, I'm fine. I slapped these couple attributes onto my vendor and they're going to make sure to respect everything and they'll drop that data. Don't worry. They're dropping that data for that end user. Look, at the end day, the anyone that's operating in ad tech and martech know it's a dark place. Once the data goes into someone's servers, you don't really know what's happening with that at that point. And we're all just relying on indemnification and liabilities and all these other types of agreements. And both from a legal perspective, right? Should something happen, that's going to be huge pain to enforce, right? You're going to have to provide a lot of evidence. God forbid you actually go to court, right? And then on the other side of the fence, right? With your organization, right? You know, how you guys are actually practicing those revenue motions. Ultimately, you may not actually have made the proper adjustments where let's say five years down the line, we actually decide, look, like tracking someone through the internet like we used to do, completely off the table. And if these technologies were not doing what you they were claiming to do for you, then you've been relying on marketing techniques and methodologies that are outdated at this point, right? Where you need to still evolve your thinking to understand, like, how can I understand who my end user is? How can I find ways to engage with them? That's not just like being big brother and following them out the internet and showing them a display ad whenever they get to a, like ESPN.com or something like that. Why is real-time compliance in this area so critical as opposed to perhaps other areas of compliance? I think it's like for a couple of reasons. One is like the speed of data collection, right? This isn't like where you're 
like when we talk about say real estate or something like that, where you submit a mortgage application and you go through all the checks and everything else and everybody's making sure that they're following their state and federal compliance requirements, right? This is happening within milliseconds of you just landing on a page. You need to make sure that these rules are in place and that end user preference is respected. But also on top of that, right, you know, you because of the wealth of data that's being collected, right, to go back and correct it or to go back and have to conform it to some compliance standard is both expensive and both from a time perspective, but also from a raw dollar perspective, right? So if we can just say, hey, look, you're going to stop data at the point of collection right now because it's basically not compliant to collect it. You save yourself a lot of headache. You have something very auditable right there proving that, hey, you did not collect data on this user and it's for X, Y, and Z reasons, right? And it's very demonstrable. So you save yourself a lot of headache. You have a great system of evidence in, or for in place for, especially if you're ever going to go chase any certification or pseudo certification that some of these compliance groups are starting to offer now versus trying to say, oh, don't worry, my vendor will delete it when I show, when I send them, the, forward them this DSAR request or whatever else, right? Let me change the focus a little bit and ask you about the debate between opt-in and opt-out strategies across the United States. Yeah, it's an interesting debate and I could see both sides of it, right? So from a business perspective, opt-out would be preferable, right? Because at that point, you're just hoping that it, it attracts people just to hit that accept all button when the banner pops up on the site and they just continue on with life. And you're able to keep on doing marketing as, as you normally have done. And then on the opt-out side of the fence, right, from an end-user perspective, you see the it's a lot more comfortable for you, right, where data is not going to be collected for, about me until I give consent, right? So I don't, there's no such thing as like just generic, oh, yeah, just by me engaging with you, I'm giving you consent to record and share all my data, right? So I think ultimately, like, I... I personally lean towards the opt opt that you would have to opt into tracking, right? So like the GDPR model and mainly for two reasons. One is I think ultimately when we think about what drives all spending, what drives everything, it's consumer spending, right? And if this is what the general population of the world, internet users, your customer base really want, that's what we should as brands strive for, right? But also even from a technology perspective, right? You're seeing techno technology standards move to respond to consumer choices before legislation even has a chance to potentially, right? Things like GPC, things like uh, tracking prevention where, you know, between Apple and Firefox, you'll see things where they like wipe your cookies or silo your cookies or have other technologies like ITP playing through the browser session, right? The solutions that you're relying on for tracking these customers and being able to market and advertise to them are going to degrade regardless, right? So just the opt-out approach, in my opinion, sets you up for a good compliance, or sorry, opt-in approach sets you up for a good compliance posture. But also, again, as you, you start maturing as an organization in terms of how you're going to start doing marketing, right? You're not going to just basically shock it an ad into an ad exchange and say, go target like all the people that look like this eight, these 800 people that bought product ABC, right? You're actually going to be more mindful of it, try and understand who are my users? How can I meaningfully engage with them? What do they like and how can I maybe partner with those types of brands or media outlets or whatever else I can to engage with them, right? Jason, I've talked to a wide variety of others who have said that 
data privacy will be the leading issue in the next few years going forward more than other types of compliance. So I wanted to ask you, looking down the road to maybe 2030 and beyond, where do you see data privacy as a key issue for either B2C businesses or even B2B businesses? Yeah, I think for both, right? B2C, I think we're seeing a lot of obvious ramifications right now, right? Both in the U.S. and abroad. And from there, I think we'll see just more and more enforcement actions continue to be taken. We see this with, we saw this with GDPR, right? And we saw a quicker version of this with the CPA to CPRA, where you'll have the first wash of a privacy regulation, like with Europe, it was the eCookie directive back in the day. Fast forward another 10 years, you got GDPR, right? TPA, they rolled it out two years later. They're like, all right, let's harden this requirement to CPRA now. And you see this continued refinement of these laws to make it clear and more explicit as to what businesses can can't do. And so I think this isn't where anyone's hoping, oh, hey, don't worry. This is just going to, it's just the current fad of the month and we're going to just ignore this. No, the internet's been in our lives forever. Like, we're, and like it's becoming a larger part of society. These types of regulations and representations of like freedoms that we normally experience in our day-to-day lives are now being addressed in a more digital ecosystem that maybe in a, through a lens that we hadn't really thought about before. I think also from a B2B perspective, like we'll definitely see a lot more clarity on that because in my opinion, at least, I think a lot of the legislation is relatively ambiguous around that type of data transfer and how that identification works, right? And anyone that's worked in the ad tech space knows that there's a lot of data exchanging hands back and forth, right? So you'll see, so hopefully we'll see some clear language on how that transfer can be conducted. But then also even for the walled gardens, like the Facebooks, the Googles or whatever else, I guess we'll start be, we'll start asking questions where it's like, hey, if we consider these vital services to the web, how must they got, be governed and managed in order for them to provide me the utility that's not necessarily, like a Google search at this point is almost like electricity, right? We don't think of it as, oh, I'm using a product. It's more, this is just my new online library, so to speak. I think a lot of those questions we're going to start to see asked, right? And even in a larger context, right, from a consumer perspective, We've been used to getting free stuff on the internet for the last decade, and we've been paying for it with our data. I think one of the questions that's going to be asked more and more is, what do we want the internet to be? What's the balance of like trading data for services? And at what point do we say that some a service is just too fundamental that you shouldn't even need to be required to be trader data for it? Jason, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on check or really the topics we've touched on, what might be the best place or places for them to go? Yeah, absolutely. To get more information around the products and solutions that we provide, you can see our site at checkai or check.ai. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, you could use the corporate email. It's jason.p at check.ai, or you could find me on LinkedIn too. Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you too. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. I'd like to tell you about two great new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, Adventures in Compliance, where I look at the intersection of Sherlock Holmes, leadership, compliance, and business ethics. I'm doing all of the Sherlock Holmes stories as well as the novels. 
Another is report from ECI 2023, where I interviewed speakers, guests, and participants at ECI 2023. I know you'll enjoy both of these new podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.